Hi, welcome to the For the Love of Film podcast. I'm your host, Scott David Chase. Uh, sorry the schedule for this podcast has been a little erratic in the last few weeks. I've been in the process of moving from one place to the other. And uh, yeah, it's you know in the middle of summertime, so it's very hot. So it's been slow going and a little tricky. Uh, I have been seeing movies during that whole time. Um, I generally go to see movies uh, when I get out of work at night. I, I had three jobs. I'm currently at two jobs, and then tomorrow I start a third job again. It's neither here nor there, but I, uh, yeah, I tend to see movies later at night, and I usually will wait till I have at least three movies to do one of these episodes. I actually had stockpiled more than three. Uh, I've now seen, well, technically I've seen six since the last episode, but one of them was seeing Won't You Be My Neighbor, the Mr. Rogers documentary. Again, I had a friend who really wanted to see it, so uh, I went to see it with her again. Uh, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to review that again, but I did see it. So that should, it's one of a handful of movies this year that I've seen more than once theatrically. Um, and you know, for those of you who don't know how movie pass works, which is how I see most of these movies, you can only see a, a, a particular film one time in the theater. So I did pay actual money to go see, won't you be my neighbor, uh, a second time. So I guess that should say how how highly I endorse that film. So this episode, I'm going to talk about four films I saw. One is uh, a Japanese film called Fireworks. It's an animated film. Uh, then I saw a film called Damsel. Uh, I saw a film called Boundaries. And then lastly, I saw um, Ant-Man and the Wasp. So, you know, an animated film, a couple couple indie films and then a huge juggernaut um, tentpole movie. So first off, I saw Fireworks. Fireworks was, uh, is like I said, it's an animated, Japanese animated film. It came out in 2017 in Japan. Um, the literal translation of the Japanese title is longer. It's Skyrockets, Watch From Below, Watch From The Side, question mark, and that's plays into the theme of, or the, the, the story in the film. I saw this on July 3rd. I actually just was looking for a movie to go see. And, uh, you know, I had the day off before the 4th of July and saw this, the title Fireworks come up on the my local... Regal Theaters listings, and at first I wasn't sure if this was literal fireworks. Uh, I know that uh, you know New York City is known to put off a, a very impressive display, and I know in the past they've shown it live in theaters. And uh, but I was surprised that you know New York City their fireworks would not actually be on the Fourth of July. A lot of local towns around here in New Hampshire will do their fireworks on the 3rd or even 2nd of July, and I've never really understood why. I mean, it makes sense when it falls on a Saturday or something like this, but where the 4th of July was in the middle of the week, this week it didn't really 
this year. It didn't really make sense. Uh, having said that, as soon as I looked into it, I realized this was not a display of fireworks. This was a Japanese film. Uh, whether or not the the reason for it being played was because of the title, I'm not really sure. It was a one-night-only event. So there's this company called uh, um, Fathom Events that will bring classic movies to the screen. They'll also bring... Um, they do a lot of concerts, a lot of um, mu- musicals and operas for a very limited, like one or two nights uh, in the theater. Sometimes when a when a large marquee name musical act will release a new concert DVD the night before it comes out, you can see it in the theater and select theaters. And for the most part, uh, the Fathom events are worthwhile at least you know the ones that i've attended i've seen uh, you know i saw vertigo earlier in the year it was a fathom event so and one of my favorite filmmakers uh hayao miyazaki they've they're doing a thing every month they'll play a different one of his films for a couple days in the theater and when i get the chance to i'll go so i knew nothing about this film other than it was a fathom event and it was an animated japanese film so I I rolled the dice and uh, was hoping I'd really enjoy it. Uh, unfortunately, that was not the case. Um, the the script I don't know. I, I don't watch a ton of anime Japanese animated uh, films, and it, it's interesting because in, in the Western culture we designate it, you know, and often refer to them as such as animated films, whereas Japan, they just refer to them as films because there's so many, I mean, uh, animated films are such a big part of Japanese cinema. And so naturally, um, there's going to be high quality ones and there's going to be not so high quality ones. Why this made it through, um, to the United States. I'm not sure. Cause it's, you know, it, it made some money, but it wasn't a huge hit in Japan. It's my my biggest problem with it was the story just isn't interesting. Uh, a lot of people who don't watch a lot of anime, uh, myself uh, certainly included, certainly from ten years ago, have kind of a, a preconceived idea of what most anime is like. Um, overly sexual, but very juvenile and uh this certainly did not do anything to dissuade that stereotype it 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 takes place over a single day with some high school students uh the last day of one of the last days of the the semester in school it's you know it's a private school and um two boys are interested in the same girl and there's a little bit of you know supernatural involved the day keeps repeating itself and choices that they they make it shows each time that the day repeats itself someone makes a different decision and we see how that on you know the rest of the day unfolds differently not an incredibly long film it's probably 95 minutes uh actually i don't know why i'm guessing i should have it right here um uh oh it's 90 minutes exactly but it felt it felt almost twice as long. Uh, the device where the 
where the day would you know start over took a long time each time they did it and it was four or five times in the film and we relived a lot of scenes that we had seen before that took a long time to get through. I mean, it's a dialogue-heavy film. There's not a whole lot of action, which is fine. It's not supposed to be an action movie. Um, But yeah, it was... uh, It did not captivate my attention. Uh, It was... At at about the halfway point, I felt that it was a chore to sit through. Um, My biggest complaint with it, honestly, was... So it's a mix of uh, hand-drawn animation and computer-generated animation... It's it's probably about 75% hand-drawn, but the computer-generated animation and the hand-drawn animation does not mesh at all, and it, it pops out as, you know, jarringly different. And the computer animation is very, very rickety and rudimentary uh, compared to modern standards. And this is a, you know, this is a modern film that came out a year ago. So I really can't recommend the film Fireworks at all. Uh, I've certainly seen, I mean, the hand-drawn animation was fine. It wasn't staggeringly beautiful. It was just sort of typical. So, yeah, I would give film Fireworks, God, a three out of ten. It's just, uh, I mean, I... I don't want to say I waste my time because I always enjoy seeing a movie in the theater with very, very few exceptions. But yeah, I can't really recommend it at all. Uh, the next film that I saw was a film called Damsel. And uh, I'm going to I'm gonna ruin uh, the actress's last name. Uh, but Mio Wasikowska, uh, who is an Australian actress, was in it. And also Robert Pattinson. Um, Robert Pattinson, probably most well-known for the Twilight Saga. Uh, he plays Edward, the, one of the vampires. This was a movie I had heard. Mia uh, uh, Wasikowska was on Leonard Maltin's podcast um, a couple weeks ago. And you know, generally, Leonard Maltin's podcast is different than a lot of other podcasts where he doesn't specifically focus on one project uh, for an actor or actress. He, you know, tends to cover their entire career. So, um, you know, Mia, probably most well-known, her highest profile gig was playing Alice in the, in Tim Burton's remake of uh, Alice in Wonderland, which I was going to say was from a couple years ago, but it was, it's, te- it's been 10 years now that that came out. Um, and, uh, she was fine in this. This was, this is a, so it's a Western comedy. Comedy is, I'll, I'll use that word sort of in the broad sense. Uh, it was, uh, written and directed by the Zel- Zelda brothers, um, who, and one of them also co-starred in it. And it's, uh, it's basically a young man has hired uh, uh, a young man has hired a priest uh, or, or a minister, rather I should say, to help him 
rescue his fiance who's been kidnapped. Um, it, you know, it, it takes place in the old West, uh, the wild West, but most of it takes place in, you know, desert country. Uh, and, uh, Robert Pattison plays the young man and, you know, he's a little peculiar as is the priest and as, as is pretty much every character in this. And then, you know, Mia Wasikowska is the, is the fiance. And, you know, the title of the film damsel is kind of a play on the word because there's preconceived ideas of what that word means. And, uh, as the film progresses, you realize things are not as they first appear. Um, I haven't seen Robert Pattinson in a lot of stuff, but uh, the stuff I've seen him in, the Twilight films notwithstanding, he's he's a really he he has eclectic choices and generally does a good job with them. He same thing with this. I mean, he plays an odd odd character in this, and uh, you know, even though he has top billing, his screen time is he's only on screen about half the, half the length of this film. Uh, you know, half the running time of this film. Uh, he's certainly captivating the entire time he's on, and uh, as is Mia Wasikowska, they only they only actually share uh, two scenes together. The rest is isolated, uh, and I don't want to get further into that, with, uh, you know, because could give away plot details, and I, I don't try and be that type of podcast. It has a very early Terry Gilliam kind of feel to it, uh, particularly Terry Gilliam's film Jabberwocky and bits of, bits of time bandits. It's one of those films that it is a period film, but every corner of the frame, there's stuff going on and it, it, it really begs for a rewatch. So you can check out all the details. Having said that, uh, I don't know if the story itself is quite captivating enough for me to want to uh, watch it again. I enjoyed it, and I saw it at Cinema Salem, which is one of of my favorite theaters to see films in, and I knew very little about it before I went into it, which is kind of how I like to watch films, particularly these little indie films. And, uh, you know, it's... You have to have... You have to have uh, a love of odd films to really appreciate this film. Uh, but uh, certainly, if, if you have eclectic tastes, if you appreciate subtle filmmaking choices, I would definitely recommend this uh, to the general film-going public uh, I'd say this this film would probably be frustrating, and the I don't want to say it has black humor because that's not quite right. It has a but it has a very bizarre sense of humor in the film, and it's certainly for the most part not laugh out loud funny. But there are bizarre situations that present themselves, and um, yeah, it's an odd odd film. I'm glad I saw it. Uh, I wish more films that are this far outside of the box got made, but uh, that doesn't really happen all that much these days. So when I get a chance to see independent films like this, I jump at the chance to them. So I would give damsel, I would give it a six 
out of 10. If I were to go just based on cinematography and music, I would give it about an eight. But as far as the narrative, um, you know, that, that drags it down a little bit. Um, the next film that I saw was a film called Boundaries. Um, this one I knew next to nothing about going into it. Uh, written and directed by Shanna Festi, F-E-S-T-E. Um, stars Vera Farmiga and Christopher Plummer and then a young actor named Louis McDougal. Um, and then you know, uh, supporting performances by Bobby Cannavale, uh, Kristen Schell, uh, Christopher Lloyd, and Peter Fonda. <coughs> Pardon me. Um, again, I had heard of this film because of a podcast. Peter Fonda was on Mark Maron's WTF podcast. And he just mentioned it briefly. Um, you know, he talked about being friends with Christopher Plummer, and then he spoke about a scene specifically where he buys uh, weed from Christopher Plummer. So I didn't necessarily go out and seek this movie, but when I saw it was playing at a local theater, well, local to where I was in Danvers, Mass., um, I decided to see it. I actually wasn't even sure this was the same film, but as soon as I saw that Peter Fonda was in it, um, I knew it was the same movie. Um I like Christopher Plummer, uh, and oftentimes I like Vera Farmiga, so I, you know I was game. Uh, it kind of has a, a little bit of a Little Miss Sunshine vibe to it, uh, mixed in with a little bit of the Royal Tenenbaums, um, while not being completely derivative of both. There, there is a there is a plot element that uh, is lifted directly from the Royal Tenenbaums. And it's one of those things that, I mean, the Royal Tenenbaums is a well enough known film that I'm like, really, you couldn't come up with something original. You had to use that. Um, That's already been used, but um, you know, uh, I went to see this movie and was looking forward to this movie based pretty much solely on the pedigree of the actors and, it was a little bit of a letdown. Um, the the writing just wasn't that great. It, it was one of those. It's a, you know so it's a Vera Farmiga plays a woman who is estranged from her elderly father. Her elderly father's being removed from the the assisted living place he's living in. Uh, you know, much like uh, Alan Arkin's character in Little Miss Sunshine, uh, because of drugs. Uh, in this film, uh, having to do with, you know, Christopher Plummer grows and sells marijuana where Alan Arkin was a heroin addict in, uh, Little Miss Sunshine. But so she decides she's going to bring her to bring her father to her sister in Los Angeles. Uh, her sister played by Kristen Schaal, who most well known from flight of the Concords. And I know is on some other, uh, television shows as well. But, uh, you know, you kind of expect hilarity is going to ensue, and it never quite does. Uh, it's, you know, it was pleasant enough. Uh, there were a couple funny moments, but nothing, nothing, again, nothing laugh-out-loud funny. Um, it never quite took off, as far as I'm concerned, you know. 
Um, both Vera Farmiga and Christopher Plummer, very charming actors. And, uh, you know, Louis McDougal, who's a young actor. He's 15, I believe, 15 or 16. He has some chemistry with Christopher Plummer and a little bit with Vera Farmiga. And his character is a strange, you know, he's, he's artistic and doesn't get along with people and is kind of a, an odd duck. And I think that's supposed to make him charming, but he, he's really not super charming. So, um, you know, might be worth a red box rental if you see it. Again, it's it's not it's neither funny enough to be an engaging comedy or really deep enough to be an engaging drama. It was kind of a you know a solid effort, but a, a, a bit of a misfire. I would give it a five out of ten. Um, and the last film that I saw was Ant Man and the Wasp. This is the uh, sequel to Ant Man, which Paul Rudd plays the title character and. Uh, you know, this is the second Marvel movie in just about six weeks. Quite different from Avengers Infinity War, though. Uh, a lot lighter, as was the first Ant-Man film. And um, First of all, this was fun. I, I enjoyed it. I was going in expecting to enjoy it. Um, you know, if Avengers Infinity War is a very heavy movie, and this... Uh, a lot of levity to this that, you know, the stakes are pretty low in this. Um, there's no, nobody's trying to take over the world in this. I mean, some of the stuff that happens, the implication could be, oh, if this technology fell into the wrong hands, that could happen, but that's not, no one's, no one's trying to take over the world in this film. Uh, there's barely a, an actual villain in this. Walton Goggins is the closest thing to it, but, um, you know, uh, it, it, it takes place, it takes place literally around the same time as, uh, Avengers Infinity War, and it kind of addresses, uh, in a roundabout way, why Scott, Paul Rudd's character, was not in Infinity War, why he was not helping with that, uh, he's been on house arrest for two years after the events of um, Captain America's Civil War, and so he's not able to be out and about. And um, you know, full, full disclosure: the post-credit sequence ties into Avengers: Infinity War. Uh, if you've seen Avengers: Infinity War, you know how that movie ends with a giant question mark, and what happens to a lot of the characters, and that happens to some of the characters in this as well. Um, and it leads to speculation of how how Ant Man will tie into resolving uh, Infinity the Infinity War Part 2. Um, Evangeline Lilly has an even bigger role in this. Uh, she plays the Wasp, hence she gets her name in the title of the film as well. Um, you know, uh, Paul Rudd is not an actor you'd expect to, to be a superhero, and, uh, you know, he does an excellent job in this, but he does keep it light. It's fun. You know, Paul Rudd is a fun guy. And, uh, if you're a fan of his, but not even necessarily a fan of superhero movies, this is worth seeing. Uh, it's not your typical superhero movie. Like I said, the stakes are pretty low and, 
his scenes with his daughter are probably the highlight of the movie. Although I, I really enjoyed seeing the scenes with uh, Bobby Cannavale and Judy Greer. Judy Greer plays his ex-wife, and Bobby Cannavale plays her new husband. Um, you know, I just realized that I saw two movies with Bobby Cannavale back to back. You know, he's definitely a a very likable character actor who does a lot of stuff. Uh, and the, the two of them when when, when they're on screen kind of steal the movie as well. Um, it's nice to see Michael Douglas again. Uh, and you know, Michelle Pfeiffer is in this movie, uh, playing Evangeline Lilly's mother, Michael Douglas's wife. Um, she's not in it that much. Um, despite how much she's shown in the marketing, uh, she's not in it that much. Um, then Michael Pena and Scott Rudd or Paul Rudd's two other friends, former cellmates. They they own a business with him, and you know they're kind of a comic relief, and it's a lot of fun. Basically, all the characters from the first film are back in this, and a couple new ones. Um, I like that this has got a different tone than the other Marvel movies, and um, yeah, I mean, I would. I would even look forward to seeing a third Ant-Man movie in a couple years, just even if it's just a palate cleanser for the doom and gloom of most of the Marvel Cinematic Universe as of late. Uh, You know, it's a fun, light summer popcorn movie. Um, Everything that Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom did wrong, Ant-Man and the Wasp kind of did right. So, uh, yeah, if you want a fun, light summer movie that's... You know, low stakes, but not brain dead. Uh, I definitely recommend it. I, you know, I'd give Ant Man and the Wasp a solid seven out of ten. Um, yeah, so that's what I've seen in the past week and a half or so. Thanks for listening, and stay tuned for more uh, movie talk. 